Uh, when I talk about fears, uh, we're looking at industry fears. So what could crumble the entire industry? Right. Um, we're looking at product fears. So where could your product be better? Service fears, customer service, service businesses, perception fears, which is marketing, and then personal fears because the robots haven't taken over yet. So we're still bringing all of ourselves to work. And um, in, in, in essence, like what I've just sort of shared is a, a better way to SWAT. So, you know, SWAT has somehow survived 60 years as the standard. It had a great run. But every time I do it now, my strength is like an also an opportunity or my weakness is a threat and my weakness is an opportunity. It's, it's just not as clear as I, I want it to be. And so a lot of what I sort of realize is just how what a cloudy time it is right now for leaders. Right. Um, we're bombarded with too much stuff in too many directions and that slows us down and causes paralysis. So a lot of what I'm looking at is like creating clarity for companies. And if you can, if you can create that clarity, it's going to make it easier for, your, for you to lead. Welcome to season three of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. Uh, you found your way to the podcast from RKD Group, a leading data-driven multi-channel marketing and fundraising firm for nonprofits. On each and every episode of Group Thinkers, we visit with a different nonprofit marketer, uh, someone who's doing something innovative in the space, leading uh, the change that's happening and, and just doing things differently, right? So uh, today's a really fun one. Uh, so backstory on today's guest and how I got connected with them. Last spring, I was walking through the airport. Uh, I was on the East Coast walking through the airport and uh, and this book just jumped out at me, right? You're, you know, you're used to walking down the concourse and see the little sundry stores, et cetera. And, and this book just, it really did jump out at me. Not, not in an actual sense, the book didn't leap, but the, the book cover, the book concept, for whatever reason, it, it grabbed my attention, it caught my eye. The book was, re, was called Return on Courage. Um, the cover, I mean, just the artwork on the cover was super uh, interesting and unique in terms of uh, forming a lion and the way that it talked about courage. And, and, um, and I picked it up. So I picked up the book on the rack. I was uh, just grabbing some water and whatnot to, to have for my flight. I picked up the book and um, from the moment that I read the book jacket, I was drawn in. Uh, the author was challenging the reader to evaluate business practices, uh, to evaluate what you do, to evaluate how you market through a new lens, a new paradigm, and a focus on courage. So I uh, ended up picking up a copy of the book and I burned through it on the, uh, on the flight, on the flight home. Um, when I landed, uh, I pulled out my phone and uh, I sent a note to the author through LinkedIn, a uh, gent by the name of Ryan Berman. And Ryan agreed to come on the show to talk about his journey, uh, to talk about his book, Return on Courage, his consulting practice, uh, Courage Brands, and uh, really to talk about his professional successes and failures. And, and in this chat, Ryan shares a philosophy for strategic planning that has potential application for every nonprofit leader, every nonprofit marketer, and marketer in general. Plus, as a, as a bonus, um, you'll hear uh, while we were chatting a couple times, Ryan's daughter uh, joins in on the uh, on the interview, which is uh, fun. It's a fun element for the conversation. So um, I truly hope you enjoy this, this chat with Ryan Berman. Hey, uh, before we get into the episode, I know we talk about it each time. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram. You can find us at GroupThinker. Uh, at Group Thinkers on both of those and just connect with us, uh, give us feedback, talk to us about the episodes and whatnot. So uh, for now, enjoy this chat with Ryan Berman. Um, so Ryan Berman, thank you for taking time out of your day to chat uh, and to chat with us about your book, Return on Courage, but also just about you and what's going on in your space um, you know, we're this is a podcast for nonprofit marketers, and uh, you and I have had a little bit of exchange about that. We're going to get into some of the application into that, but before we do, just tell me about your journey. Like, how how in the world did you go from being you know a, an ad guy in in New York City 
to uh, business owner and author? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I don't know. Gosh, how did this happen? Can that be my answer? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. no. So I, I think, uh, and by the way, just so the audience knows, we also have Mackenzie Berman here. Yeah. Uh, Mackenzie is three. She she is uh, hasn't had a job yet, uh, but but she's very interested in in um, doing good in the world, right, honey? Yeah. And possible intern, right? Intern in the making. Uh, non paid in my company, maybe. <laughs> right, honey? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, you know, like the way I describe it, really is just follow the follow the journey, uh, you guys. First few years, New York City. I was actually in New York City for seven years. Worked my way up at an ad agency. Like I always, I've always been goal centered. Meaning, like when I didn't have a, I was coming out of college. I came out of school with a, a portfolio, and I just wanted to get a job as a creative. Uh, and that took. Well, I, the first job I got, I did not get my first choice. I got my the my first boss looked at my portfolio and was like, "Well, we need a writer." Uh, in our new business team. I was like, so I got the job, so I'm in? And that's that's kind of how it started. And then it was a four-year run um, on the other side of the brain, which I call the business development or the business side. We pitched Universal Studios. This is back in New York City. We won the business. Um, and really, it took me four years of hard work, night school, before I finally got a chance as a creative. And then my last three years in the city were writing and shooting commercials for Subway and sharing Plow, which is like Coppertone and Tanactin and, you know, uh, sun care brands. Um, and then the goal was now what? And yeah. the first answer was California. Like, how do I get to California? Can I study longer form story structure, which were movies? Um, the joke is I moved to California to write movies, not live one. Hmm. And, and I've been basically living a, a movie ever since. <laughs> My wife just came out and was like, oh, Mackenzie's on your lap. Mackenzie's part of the podcast. Yeah. Bye, Mackenzie. Hey, Mackenzie, you remember that part where you're like, we'll never cut any of this. No. We, yeah, you know we're yeah, keeping I've all of this. I've never seen us cut any. This will be, that'll be the part that gets cut. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, let's see here. So I moved, I basically in um, 2004 moved to San Diego. Uh, I knew, and you tell me if, if this is long, would permission granted to cut too? But no, you're good, man. Okay, I basically, I, I moved here because I had a, a married couple that I was in their wedding, and after 9 11, they were like, we're out of here. They moved to San Diego, and I was shooting in, uh, shooting a commercial in LA, and I promised them that I would come down and finally rolled down here. And I was like, the first time I came down, I'm like, wow, it's amazing you live here. And the universe, oddly, then had me shooting in San Francisco a few weeks later. And I came down again. And I'm like, wait a minute, you can live here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so to make a very long story short, um, the deal was she was starting a branding firm. And I was going to help her market it and write movies from the beach and live rent-free in the house. And then wouldn't you know it, a month into me being in San Diego, that branding firm turned into my branding firm. Um, and we started it together. Uh, that wasn't the plan, right? And so and then you take a little bit of uh, stubbornness, uh, grit, a fear, throw it all into the drink. And, um, and, and you start a company as four of you out of a house. And, um, and then you're too stubborn to fail. And if you do that for seven years and you grow it um, – Let's see, from 2004 to 2012, really, uh, didn't see a national client for the first five years, took whatever we could get, really worked on our skills. 2012, merged it with a social media and PR firm, uh-huh. and knowing that ideas look differently now and where those ideas lived was different as well. Rebranded as IDEA. I bought out the original brand partner, and we grew it to 70 people, and um at the time, I'd hired well enough where I was now finally, for the first time, not in the business. You know, I was, I was over the business looking. And so I started to write the book, my book. And the original idea was to position the company. Um, how do you deviously position this company in a city known for fish tacos? Right. Uh, how do we compete with against New York and San Fran and L.A.? And then 
as I got to get quiet and interview all these amazing people over three years, everything I pretty much learned gave me the courage to fire myself um, to, to leave and start my next chapter, which included sock problems, uh, which is an idea I had for 10 years and was taking no action on. And I think uh, if you've read the book, if you haven't, it's okay too. But if you've read the book, then you know my definition of courage is knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. And um, here I am talking about taking action and I'm not taking any action. So how could I possibly write a book about courage and then not live the premise? And that's what catapulted me into starting stock problems. And then also having the courage to leave my own company to start, to start courageous, which is what I would call, I call it like a, like a special forces change consultancy. And the, uh, uh, it is a journey like that. It's, that's quite the journey. And, and it's funny how sometimes whenever you do, you know, you made a conscious effort to get out of the business at one point to be over the business and see it. But yeah. even hearing you talk about that, like you stepping out of the journey for a second and seeing it, you know, I'm, I'm watching you and folks are going to be listening to this, but I'm seeing it click as you're talking about it, yeah. like those different steps of the journey that impacted you along the way, including, I got to think, as you were researching the book and all those interviews, the challenges laid down from the folks that you were talking to of the faith that they had put into action to do things that were incredible had to be uh, sobering on a repetitive basis. Well, I mean, I think the one point I keep coming back to for me, and, and you know, the thing is like, maybe there's something I say that resonates with someone listening, but I like, this is, this is only gonna, I can only tell you that this worked for me, what works for me. Right. And, and so the, the big joke is I wrote the book cause I needed the book. Hmm. <laughs> now that's not why I went into why I wrote the book. You know, if you study, if you study story structure, and I actually think this space really should like really needs to start studying story structure. Cause I think that's a massive opportunity for the whole industry. But if you study story, story structure and you know who Joseph Campbell is, then you know the hero's journey and the hero's journey. They tell you the hero thinks the treasure is one thing and, turns out to be something entirely different. And yeah. I can fully say that that's true. Like that is, that was my, at least that was my truth. That when I finally committed to this, this three year run, I thought something else would happen. And, and what really, what really happened is I got myself strong hmm. and, and I, and I, have, I feel like I have clarity in who I am and I, and I'm not afraid to be that person in any scenario. Yeah. The uh, when you and I first started kicking stuff back and forth, um, and I just picked up the book, I was going on a trip, I was ready to dive into it. Uh, you said to me that you run a for profit business with a non profit ethos, <laughs> yeah. so you got to break that down for me. And especially knowing that you know the majority of our listeners are, are on staff at non profits, like what, what does that mean for you? How does that relate to this idea of being courageous? Well, first of all, the line itself sure sounds like marketing to me. It's a good line. It's sounds a very like good marketing line. line. Um, yeah, but what it, what it really means is we felt we could probably do more good as a for-profit than we could as a non-profit. And this is this is sock problems, mm-hmm. um, and it was a it was a deliberate choice, and it's not about anything but other than just having the flexibility to. We use our creativity to try to make a difference. And for those of you who are listening that are like, well, what, what's sock problems? <laughs> fair question. Um, fair, fair question. So sock problems is a, you know, again, it's a sock company, like an actual sock company that's trying to sock problems in the world with socks. So how cool would it be if we turn sock into a verb? And if you wanted to sock breast cancer, you wanted to sock bullying, you want to sock inequality or sock gun violence? We we have a sock for you, and each sock has a nonprofit um, associated with it, which we're sending twenty five percent of the sale price back to. So, uh, sock gun violence goes back to make our schools safe, which was started by uh, Lori Aldef down in Parkland after losing her daughter um, in the Parkland shooting. Or uh, sock breast cancer goes back to the National Breast Cancer Foundation. So, you know what I have said is that look, I am the furthest thing from a, an expert in socking problems, but our partners are. And if I can 
sell a few socks and send money down to people that are really trying to make an impact, whether it's on programs or research or, you know, actual cures. I, I can live with myself after being in the, the marketing arena for 20 years, which I do think marketing gets a bad rap, but sometimes I've even said that's a necessary evil. evil. And so if this could be my necessary good, um, you know, would, would love, would love to do that. Um, you know, make a real large impact by doing so. This episode of Group Thinkers is brought to you by the RKD Group blog. You might be listening on a mobile device right now, and if so, you can go ahead and open up a browser window and visit rkdgroup.com slash blog. When you get there, you're going to find all sorts of resources tackling issues that are current in the nonprofit marketing space. There's channel-specific resources focused on direct mail, digital, multi-channel and even omni-channel. There's also hot topics like GDPR, mid-level, digital media, look back windows, and more. It's all over at rkdgroup.com slash blog. And now, back to group thinkers. Yeah. And and it's funny because it does. I mean, there's there's so much of looking at stock problems and the way that you connect with nonprofits that tie back into the different aspects and principles of the book. Um, so you you touched earlier on your definition of courage. Yeah, that that's become a, a mantra for the team, right? The special forces team that you have. So uh, expand on that a little bit. How does the application of your definition of courage? change the way that your team works now versus how you saw your teams working in the past? Because that's where I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. our listeners can hear this and think about one, ordering the book, certainly, but then also applying it into the way that these nonprofit team members approach solving really complex issues while also solving normal departmental collaboration, working together issues. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think, so first of all, the book, the book's called Return on Courage. I think ROC is how you maximize your ROI. I think any willing business being a brand can return on the Courage platform. Um, you, again, the key word there is actually willing. Like I right. can't help you if you even look at the cover. The cover is a, it's a keyhole with a lion behind it. Like if you don't unlock it, I'm not there to read it for you. I guess if you buy the Audible, I technically <laughs> yeah you are yeah to, yeah. to read it for you. Uh, but for the rest of us, like if, if there's not willingness, I can't help you. Um, and so really what the book is about is getting, applying new business mechanics to the way the world's changing and good news for any nonprofit, as you know, is, you know, the obligation of what a business is today as per the uh, consumer is, is very different. It used to be about businesses, what you did to make money. And I, I think there's statistics now that say, and I'm saying think, cause I don't want to bastardize the stat, but I think like 50% of the population actually believes I'm sorry, 50% of even millennials or Gen Z believe the, an obligation of the business is to do good in the world, not just mm-hmm. make money. So this isn't going to change. So th- this is good news for us, for the listener. So basically, I got to get quiet and for three years go around the country and interview what I call the three Bs, the brave, the bullish, and the brainiac. And under the brave were Navy SEALs and astronauts and tornado chasers. And like, when you think about courage, I wanted to start in that like extreme courage group. I'm like, how do they do what they do? Are they driven by purpose? Are they, you know, why are they doing this? And, and what processes are they creating? Then I got to interview the bullish. So the C-suite or VPs at Google and Apple and Amazon and Method, Soap, um, and Domino's, Pizza. And, you know, in some ways it didn't make sense to me that, some of the biggest companies in the world were also the most agile, mm-hmm. you know, like, so how's that happening? Yeah, they have resources, but that's a lot of people to move. And then the third B were the brainiacs. So just the way we're wired, like neurosurgeons and immunologists and Cambridge PhDs, and just really understanding our decision-making process. And, um, and you throw all that in the soup. And again, like I said, this is in the book where I'm like, oh, Ryan Berman's 20 tips to getting ahead. I, it's, I describe it more like a documentary. Um, and I was just connecting the dots from what I heard. And so what I, what, I, what I learned was, like, why now is courage the thing that's missing 
in all these companies. And when you see that over half the Fortune 500 since 2000 are gone, and you learn that 9,000 brands are, are supposed to rattle on and off the Fortune 500 in the next six decades, um, like, like there's this literal grave danger that's happening where all these companies are dying off, companies we loved, um, but yet no one's putting a plan in place to, 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 to pivot and we don't know how to do it. We're so focused on the day-to-day we can't figure out how to pivot and, and, and move forward. So I wanted to understand that. And then from all these interviews, you know, even I'm sort of sadly embarrassed, but I'm now a guy with a method. I, I am, I've turned into that guy with a method. And, and that framework, the whole idea is, I think every business on the planet sits somewhere between a coward brand and a courage brand. And, you know, are you a coward brand? Are you a stasis brand? Um, are you an iterative brand? which I imagine many in the listeners are probably in the iterative arena. Are you an aspirational brand or a courage brand? Now, without even me defining what any of those are, you kind of already done the, the work to put yourself in one of those yeah. categories. So the idea is to put the business on pause, have an honest conversation of where you are and start to work your way up that spectrum. And then now that I have a, me- a method, which is in the book, there's a, the whole idea is there's a price of becoming a courage brand if it was easy, everyone would do it, obviously, but price is an acronym. And these are the five steps that are covered in the back half of the book on if I were a business leader or if I'm, you know, wherever I am at a company where I want to make a difference, I would start to go and look at these five steps and it's step-by-step on how to actually get the mechanics of your business better aligned with what's happening with society today. That's really what the book is about. It's, uh, so for me, diving into the book, and, you know, from a guide and agency to a guide and agency, this was therapy, right? This was, it was therapeutic <laughs> in a lot of ways. And, and you know, I, I mentioned to you, I've already, I bought it for a number of the members of our team because I think that it helps create those honest conversations. And yeah. where I see the application into the nonprofit space is, you know, just in the last week, there are reports coming out that are, you know, showing year-over-year declines in acquisition of donors, year-over-year declines in retention of donors. Essentially, the pool of people giving uh, to nonprofits through traditional means is shrinking. And at the top end, the high-value customers, the high-value donors are the only one of the few areas where things are increasing. So if nothing else, that in and of itself should prompt nonprofit leaders to want to have honest conversations about who they are and to transition themselves to being more courageous in their their marketing. But then you couple that with, you know, data regulations like, you know, things that are happening in California and Vermont and other states that could have GDPR-like implications. Then all of a sudden there's there's this other massive external force that should, again, create um, change. And, and, you know, it's... it's, uh, There's a a part in the book where, where you quote Seth Godin... Uh, and you know, you, you allude to that basically that people wait until they have a heart attack or get diabetes to go on a diet. Yeah. And, um, knowing that this book has been the process to create the book has been therapeutic for you, but now you've also become in some ways a spokesperson for the therapy, (laughs) but then you knowing that, uh, there are all of these internal and external forces, it feels like it's, a um, it's a cup of cold water for leaders right now that they just need it thrown in their face to say, you know, have that honest conversation. How do you how do you um, help draw people closer to having that if they're missing those internal and external forces? Yeah, again, I I think the the truth is it's it's, it's hard to do when you're you know if someone just sees a book on a shelf. Yeah. Right. But but what I what I do think it starts, you know, as cliche as it's as it is, it starts with one person. I mean, um, you know, the irony here is that there are places where you can completely control where you're courageous, and then there are other places that are uncontrollable. Um, that's out of your; it's just completely out of your control. Mm-hmm. And so, what I like to say is like, look, sorry, cliche, cliche of the day, right? It starts with one. Change starts with one person, and. I have a slide that I, I now use in, in, in most of my decks that it says you, two, view, crew, slew. 
And um, and that's how it rolls. It starts with you. It starts doesn't that didn't I didn't say CEO. Never did I say CEO. You know, if you're listening to this and there's there's no reason you shouldn't go into the office of somebody else and go make it too. You know, like hey, this is messed up for us, or hey, we say we value this. How can we possibly abide to blank when we we keep saying we keep saying X, but they keep doing Y? That's that's just a U to two, and then. If, if the second, if the two go, you know what, you're kind of right. Then you have a, sh- now it's time to go to a few. <laughs> you know, let's get a few. Yeah. By the way, now if you're a CEO and you're hearing this, it's so much easier. If you're part of the C-suite, so much easier to be the you. Because then you can go to two and be like, hey, am I messed up on this? Or what, what am I missing here? Because I thought we were this. We are that. Okay, let's go to a few. Are we this? No. No, that's what you guys think you are, but you're, you're too far away from the actual work. Right. Okay, well, right. Let's, get, let's get the few going. So to your point, it's, you know, it's conversation, it's dialogue, it's, it's caring about people. It's, um, and by the way, if you get the you right and you get the two right and you get the few right, and then all of a sudden it's a crew and like, you're like, oh, this is our Ocean's 11. We're taking our Ocean's 11 out here and yeah. we're doing something real here. Then you actually have a shot at a slew. And what I love about the word slew is the definition as per the dictionary is an uncontrollable movement. Hmm. And I think cultures and brands that are so much bigger than you are that. You can feel, you know, yeah, one of the questions I think we're going to talk about is like, like F cancer right now. Yeah. Like that feels like an uncontrollable movement and everyone yes. wants to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Apple, uncontrollable movement, you know, that's bigger than, than Steve Jobs or, or Tim Cook. Uh, but but it's just because they controlled what they could control at the beginning. They controlled that they cared about their people. They controlled that they wanted to have this conversation uh, honest conversation with their staff. And um, I think that's that's what this is all about. It's like, what can yeah. you control? And then how do you create the slew? You, um, you live alongside the nonprofit space. And obviously the work that, that you do with Sock Cancer um, exposes you to, to some folks in that arena. You know, there's 1.6 million nonprofits in the U.S. and that number continues to grow. Uh, wow. And so you've got those same um, connection with donors, connection with the the customer issues that I mentioned earlier, but then an expanding marketplace. Who to you stands out as either um, creating differentiation or um, separating themselves based on the model that you've outlined as as courageous? What what causes what nonprofits to you stand out as um, doing something different, and, and why? See, this is like this is like a lame, selfish answer, I think, because uh, you know I only know what I see of the partners we're working with. Um, you know, although to be fair, I spoke up at Classy's Collaborative in Boston. You know, evidently, I think they said it's like a four hundred billion dollar category now, and yeah. only five percent of that is corporate giving. So there's a huge opportunity there. That's a sidebar, but like I, I love what. Um, I like what No Bully is doing. No Bully is our partner on our sock bullying sock. I love what the Trevor Project's doing. Maybe that's a little bit of a cliche answer, but I think like especially in how they are. Again, I'm when I'm only going off of what I can see and how people like perceive sock problems. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, to be fair, many of our partners are like, "Great, write us a check," and then I've got a couple other partners that are like. Yes, you're bringing our donor base down. Yes, how can we, how can we like get younger, because our donor base is dying off. Right. Yes, you know what? This is our tagline at Sock Problems is care, wear, share. So we want you to care. If you care, hopefully you'll wear. And if you wear, we want you to share the story forward. And you know the idea here is it doesn't matter if you're one person if you care about you know socking hate, which proceeds go back to the Trevor Project. It's this lovable rainbow and called Rainbow Pal then one person can wear it, post it on social media and make an actual impact on moving our message down the line. And so Trevor Project specifically has, they, like, they'll send out emails that are like, hey community, this is how you can show your pride. Um, no Bully as well. No Bully probably buys more socks from us, they're our partner by the way, than mm-hmm. anybody else. They're buying their own socks from us because they're, they're gifting them to influencers and they see us for what we are. We're a literal walking advertisement to continue the mission of, of actually socking bullying. So again, it's a selfish, these are selfish responses because I'm the you know, founder of, of Sock Problems. But 
I just think the the thinking behind the companies that see, oh, we, we need to do more. Wait a minute, we need to be creative on how we get younger. Right? Let's touch let's start talking to the next group of donors who do want to make a difference and they do want to make an impact versus great, just write us a check. And that that's the difference for us. Yeah. No, I think that I think it's a relevant point. I think that it is the it's the application of you know, elements of the book, uh, you know, yeah. as you mentioned, the, uh, the, the leveraging of price or the definition of that central courage system to yeah. have that be a part of a, an organizational strategy, right? To have that be a part of a, a strategic conversation on how you're going to operate uh, so that you can set yourself apart. Uh, so, you know, I think that that's the, uh, to me, that's the, that's the core application of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that we should mention, because we do want people to go out and get the book, um, you have almost workshop or worksheet elements built into the book. What was the, the thought behind uh, incorporating homework into you know, what would otherwise be a, a, marketing, a marketing book? Yeah, so two big uh, sort of points on that. First of all, so 70% of corporate initiatives fail. Mm. So... I think it would it would be it would be careless of me to write a book about change and then not help whoever's going through it commit realistically commit give them everything they need to to actually make change whether it's in their lives their team or their business so so that was that was the biggest one it's like how do I actually like let me let me give a, give you as much as you need to actually take on this challenge and and the second one was like, I didn't want to write a bad book. <laughs> I wanted to write, you know, this was, this book isn't about establishing credibility for me. I, I, you know, remember at the beginning, I really did think it was trying to establish credibility for my first company. Yeah. But then I was like, wait a minute, this book's going to live around a lot longer than me. And so I wanted to make sure that I could like actually create a piece of useful content that when people went through it, it actually helped them. And, you know, maybe... Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, of course, I, I, I really do believe in price. And, and by the way, it's cool. To, my decision-making is so much faster now because I have the platform. I'm like, where to help a company? Like, oh, well, let's talk about the values of the company. What are the values? Right, right. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You don't know the values? Or oh, there's nine of them? Like, I'm not that smart. Like, I can remember four. You know, like, let's make it really easy for your team over seven offices or one office with 50 people to remember what supposedly matters inside this company. Right. Um, so to me, that's, that's the beauty. Maybe there's only one part of price that really, really resonates with you. Great. Use it. Maybe it's all, I mean, like again, and, and maybe I should rattle through price. So, yeah, I was so going to say, you might want to, yeah. So yeah. that people don't think we're talking about like the actual price point of something. Yeah, but yeah. We're not talking about cost. So, so, so price is an acronym and, the, and, and you've heard too. So the idea of there's a price of building what I call your central courage system, because one of the big things that I learned is that this thing called your central nervous system is an archaic system. And, mm-hmm. and, and we've, we've made this mistake that just because technology has advanced that we think we've advanced and we really haven't advanced. It's the same archaic system that cavemen and cave women use. And by the way, our central nervous system and how that worked when a bear was chasing us for berries as cavemen and cave women, great process, right? Cortisol hits your body, you run away from that bear, you stay alive. <laughs> now it worked. It works. Yeah, we're still here. Uh, but that same response is happening when you're stuck in traffic that same response is happening when you get shut down in a meeting of nine people and now you're embarrassed to open your mouth again. And so I was like, well, how do you combat your central nervous system? Well, the, the creation of what I call your central courage system or as a business, the creation of becoming a courage brand and there's a price to, of doing that. So price, price stands for prioritize, rally, identify, commit, and execute. Prioritize through values and rally believers are the first two steps. These are organizational health steps. Identify fears, commit to a purpose, execute your action are what I would call the courageous business steps. The only silo that has to break down is the one that sits in between those two arenas. And yeah. that means that multiple you know, groups inside the organization need to be communicating. Uh, if you're leaving it to marketing, you've missed the point. 
Um, marketing should be fully aligned with no gap between them and finance. Um, marketing is not something that's brought on at the end. Okay, now go tell the world about this. Marketing should be baked into your product if you can. Why wouldn't you do that if you can? So this is just the lens clearly of the guy that came out of marketing, right? Yeah, yeah. You get the idea. So step by step, the first step is prioritize their values to keep this quick. I really think the companies that are winning are actually activating their values. Um, They're not CYA values. They're not collecting dust on an employee manual. Um, They're actually operationalizing the values of the company. They're making choices on those values. The, I sort of laugh when I say this, but like, you know, the real question is like, at the root of value is valuable. So like how valuable are your values really? Are they valuable or, or, or not? So core values, they're not eye rolls. They're how the exceptional role. And when they're real and you're utilizing them and you're rewarding your staff on them, then it's Pavlov. That's the, that's the behavior that you want out of your team. So it starts with that, like get your values tight. And by the way, I'm happy to like send a personal core values assessment to anyone. Oh yeah. yeah. We can connect on that and figure out a way to, to get that across to people. Okay, cool. Cause I think that's part of the problem too, is that like less than 1% is actually can actually rattle off their personal core values. Absolutely. So, so however I can help on that. So, um, so now that we know who we are, right, we know what the brand is supposed to stand for. We know the behavior of, of how our company is supposed to operate. Then comes the R in price, which is rally believers. So I think you even make believers or fake believers. And um, the sole goal of leadership is what I call believership. And believership is not like one person's job. It is the believership's job to make believers in all directions, make believers out of your board, your staff, your, your customers, your prospects. And the, I'm pretty sure that the only, like the sole currency of business today is belief. Meaning if you believe you're in and you're, you stick around, you're invested. If you don't believe, even if you're physically there, you're gone, you're out. Productivity drops. And, um, and there's no doubt. And, and so, you know, you take that and just for a second, when you think about the connection between an organization and someone that philanthropically supports it, Right, charitable giving to that organization. The, there is a high belief, and it's something that we've seen studied and modeled that when there's high familiarity, high belief, that's someone that gives. Right. Yeah. So if someone's coming to you and they have high belief and they're giving you your dollars, or if you're in, you know, donor care, donor services, donor stewardship, and you're on the phone with someone and and you're low in belief for the the organization itself because you don't understand those core values then you're muting that person's ability potentially to strengthen their belief in a cause and an organization. So you're, you're on the front lines of, uh, of that as an employee of a nonprofit of carrying that belief almost as a torch, uh, hugely important. And so if you're a fake believer, guess what? Right? Like you're, thanks for playing. You're, you're, you don't believe and productivity drops. And then, it's, it's impossible to create another believer if you're a fake believer, right? Because and b- belief is contagious. So, so I think a lot, and, and, and again, the book goes into detail on like how yes. you actually make a believer and then what should you do with fake believers? Because I don't think you can, if you allow that behavior, shame on you to allow fake believers just to permeate your culture. So those two steps are what I would say, like I said, those are the organizational health steps. And yeah. if you have multiple offices, you got to get, it's even harder to keep people on the same playbook, but that's, that's the point of the book is to give you a playbook. Fear. So there's a famous proverb that fear encourage your brothers. You actually can't get to the courageous choice without channeling it first through fear. But most in business, we suppress fear versus address fear. Um, so I like to say, state it and create it. Let, like, let's get it out on the table and then like, let's figure out a way to shrink down the fear. Uh, when I talk about fears, uh, we're looking at industry fears. So what could crumble the entire industry? Right. Um, we're looking at product fears. So where could your product be better? Service fears, customer service, service businesses, perception fears, which is marketing, and then personal fears because the robots haven't taken over yet. So... <laughs> We're still bringing all of ourselves to work. And um, in, in, in essence, like what I've just sort of shared is a, a better way to SWAT. Mm-hmm. So, you know, SWAT has somehow survived 60 years as the standard. It had a great run. But every time I do it now, my strength is like an, also an opportunity or my weakness is a threat. And 
my weakness is an opportunity. It's, it's just not as clear as I, I want it to be. And so a lot of what I sort of realize is just how what a cloudy time it is right now for leaders. Right. Um, we're bombarded with too much stuff in too many directions and that slows us down and causes paralysis. So a lot of what I'm looking at is like creating clarity for companies. And if you can, if you can create that clarity, it's going to make it easier for your, for you to lead. Um, the C is commit to a purpose. I think if you're a listener here on the show, then you know how important it is to nail your cause. Um, you know, I think Simon Sinek got it right when he talked about your why, know your why. The only add-on I would say is now more than ever, I mean, if you're going to galvanize people, it's not enough just to know your why. You need to put a rally cry in the why. Yeah. So what's the rally cry? Where where, where are you creating true conviction? And that means you got to have a truthful purpose. It's got to be authentic. Um, it needs to be emotional. And it needs to be different. You know what I mean? If a purpose is taken, it's taken. So um, how do you come up with something that's unique that can galvanize people? You know, even like uh, like I talk about SpaceX quite a bit. Not a lot of proof that they're going to be successful on their purpose of life on another planet. But if you work at SpaceX, you're like, I want that story. I am, I, I, I'm going to stick around. I'll work 18 hours a day to fulfill that purpose. And okay, fine. Maybe not all of us can have real rocket ship businesses, but maybe what's your metaphorical rocket ship that you can yeah. create? true conviction inside your organization. So, Well, and again, you think about the number of nonprofits that are trying to solve some really massive problems in the world, whether or not that's curing different forms of cancer or other diseases or mm-hmm. uh, creating sustainable community in underdeveloped countries or solving social issues. Like there are some, some massive opportunities to galvanize uh, a purpose behind for a staff and for a board and for how they relate to donors. And so, yeah, lots of opportunities there. What I, and what I would say is like, well, cause a lot of people are like, great. I know I need my purpose. I got to find my why. So like, well, how do you do that? And you know, what, what I think, and again, remember story guys. So I'm going, I'm coming at it from a story approach, but I think the big, the big aha moment I had was that great, great companies have clear enemies. And like this is good versus evil. This is this is just Star Wars, right? We're back to Joseph Campbell. And like, what is the enemy that you're taking down? And yes, if you want to connect with people, there needs to be some sort of enemy and some sort of tension that you are alleviating. Yeah. Which you're doing already. It's just you might be coming at it from the positive side versus the negative side. And so I think like, you know, even like uh Oh, Mackenzie Lake Berman is back to share some more insights with us. Hold on. We're going to, and she's right here. <laughs> Remember again, we're back to the part where you're yeah, like, no, Mackenzie wants to, to chime in as well. Mama. I'll show you something important. I'll show you something important. <laughs> hey, babe. Okay. I'm almost done, okay? Kiss your mama. I'll be right back, honey, okay? <laughs> I'll see you soon. Oh, oh little so darling. Listen, she's going to be so excited about being on her first podcast, though. It's okay. It's okay. So, again, I think we were on enemies, like, like figuring out your yeah. enemy and what is, exactly. what is, the, what is the, the evil that needs to be thwarted. And one of my favorite enemies that I saw was, was for Method Soap. You know, they thought it's sort of odd that you had to wear these gloves to clean your house. Like, how clean are the ingredients, really? So... They're, they're, they made a better product with cleaner ingredients and their, their purpose is the people against dirty. Yeah. Okay. Are you for dirty or against dirty? There's no gray. And so if I'm thinking about this, I know you want to start positive, but what is the thing? What's the enemy? What's the nemesis that you're trying to take down first? Because that's where the tension is in that, that thing. And then shrink that down. And people want to feel like they're part of like the you know tribe that's doing good. I think that's how you do it. For me, like, again, sock problems. Like, how cool would it be if we sock problems in the world? Right, right. But you're, you're, getting to the, you're getting to that problem. And I think that that's where uh, I would challenge many nonprofits to, to really reflect on the way that they market, the way that they position themselves, and, um, and less about themselves and, and more about that problem. Exactly. Like, reflect on it, absolutely. But also play that into your messaging to elevate the problem so that 
that potential donor will connect with, oh, I can solve that problem when I support you, giving you my time or giving you my dollars. And so it is about, in some ways, elevating that enemy, that problem, so that you can be a part of the solution to it. Yeah, I think Sarah Blakely, she had said, you know, CEO Spanx, she had some post a couple of weeks ago. It's like, stop selling your product and start like selling that you're solving a problem. I'm yeah. completely messing up what she said, but it was something like that. And I agree. It's, yeah, what what is, and again, and I, I love as a Seinfeld fan that I get to say, I'm in the fear shrinkage business. Mm-hmm. So yes. like, what's the fear that we're shrinking that we want to we, we attack and go right at, at the big one? And people will galvanize. They'll stick around for that fight. So that brings us to, I think, our E. So execute your action is the last one. And remember, my definition of courage is knowledge plus faith plus action. So it's go time. And I think the action part is the hardest part. It is, all right, it's time to go. Let's let's tackle this. So the way the book looks at at executing your action, there really is, and again, if you're talking about taking action, you're you're talking about a path towards changing. And where does change have to happen in the organization? Is it a innovation change? Is it a communication change? Or is it a conviction change where you got to get your culture tight? And the book covers those three. It's a little bit of a choose your own adventure depending on, you know, what type of action are you, are you trying yeah. to take inside the company? Man, it's, it's, uh, it's such good stuff. And, um, uh, you know, I, I will, I'll tell you, uh, the, it's something that leaders should read on a every, I don't know, on an annual basis at least, right? And and I do think that there's application for this into strategic planning, both as a part of like a campaign, but as your business planning and uh, for our listeners to to pick up a copy, they'd be very wise to do so. So, you know, just kind of last thing is as we wrap, um, what what's next for you? I know you've, you've been... Um, doing quite a few keynotes, traveling around, talking about the aspects and some of the things that you've shared today. What's, what's next for, for you, Ryan? And, um, and where can folks connect with you online? Yeah, first of all, I really appreciate you saying that about the book because I, I, like I said, I didn't want to write a bad book. <laughs> like I wanted to write a book that could help people. And so I feel similarly like, yeah, let's make sure, I don't know if you're a sports guy at all, but I, I equate it to like a pitcher who is super talented and their mechanics went bad. Yeah. I'm like, you keep dropping your elbow or whatever, whatever the thing is. And I think to your point, I could see people revisiting the book and making sure the mechanics of their business are tight uh, to mirror what's going on in society today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been a, a wild year, you know, because the book came out in January and knock on wood, it's been well received. And um, so I've been keynoting quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm excited. I think I'm most excited about the fact that um, I'm launching this Courage Bootcamp that's now out. And Courage Bootcamp is this eight-week online program. And, you know, an agency guy, agency guy, what I learned is that almost every company I've ever run was full of millennials mm-hmm. or Gen Z. And every client that ever hired me was C-suite. And like they are not speaking the same language. They are, it's, like, it's like, I'm so in some ways, I'm just a translator in the boot camp, trying to bring both sides, you know, to find common ground on one yeah. playbook. And, um, and so it's an eight week online program. It's sold just to corporate. And the idea is also like, Hey, we can probably pinpoint, there's almost 250 questions in the program. So we can pinpoint where the problem problems are inside the organization. Do you have a clarity problem? Is there a conviction problem? Have you nailed your cause yet? Um, but it's also, allowing us the opportunity without any biases to pinpoint talent. So, you know, there's no gender bias, no title bias, no age bias, and age bias in either direction, by the way. It's just looking at who's performing well in the program. And I think 50% of the questions are pretty much multiple choice. And so if someone's getting 100%, 95%, it doesn't mean they're the smartest. It means they're invested. It means mm-hmm. that they care in your company. They're in tune. Yeah, and so I would want to know who those people are. Yeah. And so the boot camp actually can identify it's problem identification and talent identification and getting everybody on the same playbook, like I said. So I'm excited to finally roll that out. We have um, two clients through the beta. We actually got a team from Google that is also going through it now, which is really cool. And um, like I said, I'm just trying to help people deal with change and use the process that's been created to do so. 
Oh, um, and people can find me at uh, the best place is probably couragebrands.com um, or ryanberman.com, even probably even probably a little easier. And, um, I, you know, again, I, I love the stuff. So if anyone has any questions, fire away. Yeah, Ryan, you're such a good dude. And, and I, uh, I love seeing, uh, I love the fact that I had a chance to dive into this deep prior to our conversation, but then just to, to be able to hear you talk through your journey and, and to see how applicable it is, uh, into all levels of business and for-profit and certainly the nonprofit side, it's, uh, truly a pleasure. So thanks for, uh, spending time today, man. I really appreciate it. You got it, Justin. When are you, when are you coming down to San Diego? Come see me. Hey, for sure. We'll, uh, we'll be there. We need to, uh, we need to get a, um, uh, a soccer match rolled up whenever I get there. I'll bring my, my cleats and we'll, we'll get out on the pitch. I love that idea. All I think, right, that, uh, look, as, as long as I have my knees, I am in on that idea. Excellent. Very good. Very good. All right, Ryan, take care, man. I really appreciate it. Okay. There's the chat with Ryan Berman. Um, geez, even going back and listening to, the conversation I had with him, Ryan has truly been transformed by his journey, uh, the successes and failures, and the the search that he went on for what makes brands, companies, and organizations truly courageous. And uh, I can't recommend the book enough, Return on Courage. Uh, strongly suggest you pick up a copy. Uh, I've given uh, copies to members of my team uh, and really do love the way that it's structured, the way that Ryan approaches uh, sharing lessons. And uh, I, I think that you would benefit from it tremendously. So uh, you can get Return on Courage at Amazon. You can also visit returnoncourage.com. So that's, uh, that's the chat with Ryan. And here we are. This is the last episode of Group Thinkers for 2019. Uh, last episode, we were in the middle of season three, but this is the last one before we kick into 2020. And I got to tell you, I'm so thankful for uh, each and every one of you that tune into our episodes. Thankful that you have welcomed us into your feeds as a part of 2019. It's been a great year for us uh, with the launch of the podcast, all the wonderful guests interacting with um, listeners uh, at various conferences and industry events and you sharing your feedback and uh, and honestly you guys are the absolute best so thank you as always for uh, tuning in and checking out the the episodes um, hey you can uh, you can connect with us and tell us what you think about this episode on Twitter or tell us what you think about it on Instagram you can find us at group thinkers on both you can also check out as we close out the year if you're looking for information on what's to come in 2020, some expectations, uh, there's a, a trends blog up at rkdgroup.com. Check out the blog and and see what uh, what we're saying you should expect going into this next year. So uh, have a wonderful remainder of 2019 and can't wait to, to share with you more as we get into 2020. Tune in next week as we bring a different nonprofit marketer uh, innovator into your feeds. All right, we'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but it's the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.